Um, we're going to go to uh, the scripture today, and we're going to spend some time in a lesson together. And so if you want to grab your Bible, you're welcome to do that. I don't know if you have uh, ever stopped to think that, um, that, most, that almost all the people that God ever used <laughs> over the years, God used in times of, of big crisis. And, and I know if you're like me, you, you would like to... <laughs> You would like life just to return to normal like it was a month or two ago. We could just snap our finger and everything would be, everything would be like it was. And, and that would be wonderful. But, but sometimes in life, it just doesn't work out like that. And right now, we are in a season and a time where things are very, very difficult. And a lot of things are a challenge. And I don't want us to forget that God can do amazing things in moments like these. While we might get flustered in uncertainty, while we might begin to become anxious and worry, when we might lose our direction or lose our intensity or our focus, our Heavenly Father never does. You think about the stories in the Old Testament, just in the Old Testament. Think of, well, for instance, Noah. (laughs) Noah was called by God in a time of great moral upheaval. And and if there's ever been a season where things were not like they were before, it's certainly with the great flood. You think of, of Job, a man that God, God loved and blessed and lived a wonderful life for the Lord, and yet it's that time of crisis in his life that we, that we know about and identify. It's that moment where things all went wrong, where God used him and was glorified through Job's life. And if you've ever read that story, you know what a remarkable story that is. You think of people like Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his own brother. Certainly there's no normal about any of that, and yet... Well, and yet Joseph did amazing things. Not only did he save his own family and God's people, but he also saved the entire Egyptian nation. God used him in a time of crisis. Then there's Moses, who would would be called by God to lead maybe a million plus people out of the land of captivity in Egypt to the promised land that God was going to show them. There was nothing normal or routine about any day in the ministry or life of Moses. And we can just go on and on. King David spent his first years on the run, and yet it's the pinnacle of of the nation of of Israel. Samson, Deborah, Daniel, and of course, of course, Jesus. Everything in the world at the time that Jesus was here was, was difficult in so many ways. The Jewish people were under oppression from the Romans. Not only that, Jesus had a very difficult ministry because he had come up against the political and religious leaders that were in power in that time. There was nothing that was simple. And yet it's those stories that we reference back and we look at that inspire us because those individuals learned how to find victory in the darkness. They learned how to to peer into what it would seem like a hopeless situation and see the hands of God that were working. We're going to pick on the last of these list of, of people that we talked about today. Jesus Because if there's ever a time that Jesus was on point, it was that last week of Jesus' life. This week is what we often call Palm Sunday, or some uh, some celebrate it more than others, but it's a remembrance of that day that Jesus victoriously went into the city of Jerusalem. And what's amazing to me as you read through that entire text is just how focused Jesus was on the mission that was at hand. Just how zeroed in Jesus was on what God had sent him to do. He knew he had one week and he was going to make the very most of that week. There's a story though that happens just a little bit ahead of that. 
And it's a story, I think, that maybe helps us to understand how we can do the very best job that we can of finding victory in the darkness. It starts out in John the 11th chapter. If you brought your Bible with you today, grab that or look it up on your phone or however you, you're, doing, uh, you're doing your scriptures. John the 11th chapter, and as you might know, it's the story of, of Jesus and, and good friends. It says, now there was a certain man who was sick, Lazarus from Bethany of the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, John assumes that you know a lot about this relationship. Mary and Martha and Lazarus were very good friends of Jesus. They had spent a lot of time in their homes. And there's a lot of stories throughout the Gospels of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But this one, this story captivates our attention maybe more than any other because we see exactly what it is that Jesus was about in this world. And it gives us a glimpse into the human nature of Jesus. You know, sometimes we, we look at Jesus in moments of crisis, and we think, well, that's, that's Jesus, right? I, I, I'm, I can't do that, or I can't live up to that standard. It's, it's, that's Jesus. And yet, we all know that the Bible says that we are called to be as much as we are able to walk and to be like Jesus was. And so what were the secrets? What were the things that Jesus did that allowed him to stay so focused even in difficult season, like what he was going through at this particular time. I think the first thing that's important to notice is that in order to find victory in darkness, we've got to look for a bigger plan. We've got to look for something that's, that's bigger than just the situation right in front of us. Church, right now, there's a constant news stream of information. Most of it is not good, and most of it's pretty negative. And most of it, to be honest is really out of our control, isn't it? But is there a bigger plan in all this? The story that we're going to look at today is just such a story that helps us to see how Jesus looked at a situation, how the apostles looked at the situation, and how Mary and Martha, sisters of Lazarus, looked at that same situation. And as we read through this text, I think you'll agree with me that Jesus' unique viewpoint allowed him to stay focused on what God was wanting to do, to see the bigger picture better than the others. So let's read together. It says in John 11 and verse 4, when he heard this, and what he heard was that Lazarus was sick. Martha and Mary had sent a message saying, your friend Lazarus is sick. And it says that when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death. No, it is for God's glory so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. We don't always think of bad things being useful to God. But as Jesus heard that his friend Lazarus was ill, he wasn't shocked in this moment. In fact, he just said, hey guys, this isn't, this isn't going to kill him. It's not unto death. It's so that God might be glorified. Now, if you've known this story and you've read it before, <laughs> you know that, well, that in reality, this was much more serious than maybe Jesus led on initially. But Jesus' response was not to freak out. He didn't jump up immediately and run to Bethany. He didn't speak the word and have healing angels run and, and deal with that situation. Ironically, Jesus just hung around for a few more days. He sat tight. And he reminded the apostles, is so that God's glory may be revealed. God has a purpose in this that is, well, bigger than what we might imagine. 
Paul writes this in Philippians, the first chapter in verse 21. It's a passage of scripture that I, I try to remember as often as possible. He says simply this. He says, for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. What does it mean for us to be a Christian? Does it just mean that we live to be old or does it mean that we live to accomplish something, to change this world, to be a bright light using whatever situation, whatever tool God may have at our disposal? In order for us to find victory in the darkness, we've got to look for the bigger plan. And I would submit to you this morning that there always is a bigger plan, that God is working. In fact, in the story of Lazarus and his good friends, God was working. God was about to do an absolutely amazing thing that none of them could have imagined. He was working, and Jesus saw that bigger plan. But the second thing that Jesus did, and I think that we must do as well, is to see the victory in dark times, we must realize that the opportunity is worth the risk. Truth is, is that life is something of a risk. And certainly, this response from Jesus had to, be, had to have been considered by the sisters to be risky, or at least maybe not as attentive as it could have been. We often quote this passage, but I'll remind you of it again. It's found in Matthew 6, chapter, and verse 33, and it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That is really the theme verse for us as Christians, isn't it? To seek first the kingdom. To consider how what I'm doing affects what God is doing in this world. Thinking about that bigger plan and how God is working, and then asking ourselves, what, is the, what are the opportunities, what are the risks that I must take so that I can be faithful? As we look at that list of guys that we started off this lesson with, guys like Noah or Joseph or Moses or David, there was a lot of personal risk for every one of those people. Just imagine if you were Noah. God came to you and said, look, Noah, I'm just about to wipe everyone off the face of the earth. I'm about to cleanse this world and start over again. I want you to go on a 100-year building project to erect a gigantic boat because I'm going to flood this world with water. There was so much risk in that, we couldn't really even begin, well, begin to figure out what it was. Or Moses, who was called at 80 years old to leave a comfortable place as a shepherd and to go to a foreign and hostile country and demand that they release a large slave labor force that was doing a lot of building, a lot of good for the Pharaoh. There was so much risk in that. But each of those individuals were willing to take that risk and be faithful to the call that God had received them or given to them. When we seek first the kingdom of God, sometimes it does put us in places that are uncomfortable. A lot of the guys that you've seen jumping in here on podcasts and recording lessons and coming throughout the week, this is not comfortable for them. It's not comfortable for me. We're not used to that kind of interaction. A lot of you guys have been jumping online and doing online Bible studies or texting or calling people, and, and that's not necessarily sometimes the most comfortable thing that, that we might do. But walking with Jesus may lead us into some uncomfortable situations. And we just have to be, we have to be okay with that. This is an uncomfortable situation for everybody here. It's uncomfortable for the sisters in Bethany awaiting Jesus coming. It's uncomfortable for the disciples wondering, why is Jesus delaying going? 
And I'm certain it was uncomfortable for Jesus. He knew that his friends needed him. Undoubtedly, he would have liked to have gone. But there was a bigger plan. And God's call was to wait. The second thing that we've got to realize is, well, in John, in John 11 chapter, let me pick up there. It says, Jesus says to the disciples, hey guys, let's go again to Judea. <laughs> and, and the disciples begin to argue with him a little bit. And they say in verse number eight, well, Rabbi, the, the Jews were trying to stone you. Why are we going there again? They remembered the last visit, the time when, when, the, when things did not go well and Jesus nearly lost his life. But when we are walking with Jesus, when we are willing to take a risk, we see opportunities that we would have never missed or we never seen. Opportunities that help us to see the real priorities in what God is calling us to do. There's a lot of things right now that might demand our attention. And Jesus says this to the disciples in John 11, verses 9 and 10. Read with me if you would. He said, aren't there 12 hours of daylight? If a man walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if a man walks in the dark at night, he stumbles because the light isn't in him. Jesus is saying that when, we, when we're willing to kind of step out and follow God, as uncomfortable as it might be and it might feel and as risky as it might be, that we actually are able to see a little bit more clearly the things that are really, truly important in life. I think one of the good things that's come from this very unfortunate situation is that all of us have kind of done a little bit of a gut check. We've taken a look at our lives and we've realized, you know what, some of the things that maybe I prioritized a lot a month ago or six months ago or a year ago this time weren't really that important. And some of the things that maybe I, I wasn't giving time to, those are the things that I, I really need to focus on from this point on out. And so, number, the, the third thing I'd like us to notice is that walking with Jesus gives us an opportunity to put tragedy into perspective. There's a lot of things right now that, that cause us to, to be sad. In John 11 and verses 11 through 15, and we're just going to read a part of that for the sake of time this morning. Jesus is greeted by Martha as he enters or nears Bethany. And, and she says, Jesus, it's too late. Your friend Lazarus has, has died. And it says, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go to awaken him. Now, the disciples here, they said, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. They, they knew what we all know, that when you're sick, you need to take rest. And, and that's perfectly the normal thing to do. And so they're thinking, well, Jesus, if he's resting, it's always going to be a good thing. But Jesus would have to come out and just out and out and tell him, hey, guys, he's not sleeping in the way you think of sleep. He's thinking he's dead. This, this moment was a difficult moment for the apostles, but I think it's a revealing moment for us. Because when Jesus talked about death, he didn't talk about it in terms that we normally do in terms of finality. No, Jesus talked about death in terms of simply a rest. It's because Jesus knew he was about to change things. Jesus knew that his upcoming death on the cross was going to once and for all conquer the enemy that we know as death. The last thing that I think is important to notice in this first section is that walking with Jesus gives us an opportunity to build our faith. 
all of us need those opportunities, but oftentimes we, we don't necessarily want them. In verse 13, it says, Now Jesus had spoken of death, but they thought that he meant he was taking rest or taking sleep. And so Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. <laughs> Notice here, Jesus said, I, I'm actually glad it worked out this way, for your sake. Because this is going to be a moment that you will never forget. This is a moment that will concrete or cement your belief system. Not only theirs, but ours as well. Here it is all this time later. 2,000 years have passed and we still look back at this story and we're amazed by it. Now, I don't believe that God causes bad things to happen to innocent people just for, for fun. But when bad things do happen, God is so often able to work in those to cause good to come from that bad. And I believe in this current situation that we face with the coronavirus, I, I think we're going to see God, and we have seen God working to do great things in, in the time and in the place in which we live. The third thing I think is important for us to notice is that God is always right on time. God's timing and my timing are not necessarily the same. And, and really, right now, I, I'm thinking, you know, this has been kind of fun, but let's go back to normal, God. Let's, let's, let's not have any more live stream services. Let's just get back to doing things like regular, where we all gather together and we worship God with one another, shoulder to shoulder, and we can shake hands or fist bump, and we can visit with one another. That would be wonderful. But right now, that's not the way things are. We see from this story that God's time, while it may not be our time, is always, well, right on time. It's perfect. Now, as Jesus nears Bethany, he's met by, by Martha. And I want you to notice here that Jesus meets strength with answers. In John 11, his chapter, in verse number 20, it says, When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here my brother would not have died. They had extraordinary faith. They had no question that Jesus could deal with this situation. But why hadn't he come? Why hadn't, why hadn't he responded days before? Why had he chosen to wait? Jesus answers her back in verses 25 20, and 26. Jesus said, well, you're going to see him resurrected. And Martha says, well, I know he'll resurrect, and, and so on and so forth. And then Jesus says this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? <laughs> Martha, Mary, do you guys really believe what it is that I've just said? And of course, she did. She says in verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming in to the world. What she's really saying right there is, even though I don't understand this situation, even though I don't, I don't understand why you delayed your coming, I don't even really understand, Lord, what you mean when you say that, well, that, that, you, uh, that he will resurrect again. I do know this, that you are the Lord that you are the Christ, and that you are in control. Church, let's never forget that Jesus Christ is in control of this situation. Jesus, Jesus met 
her strong, her strong response with a clear answer. But not just that. Jesus also met her brokenness with compassion. In verse 28, he picks up, and when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him, which seems like would have been out of town a ways. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. John 11 and verse 34 says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who were with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. He was moved in his spirit and he was greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Sometimes we feel like God is so far away, that Jesus is so far out of touch, that he doesn't feel the, the sting of our pain. He doesn't feel the, the punch of our hurt. But the truth is that Jesus is very near. And even though Jesus, for reasons that only he knew, saw God's bigger plan and waited and delayed his coming, Jesus was no less hurt by what he saw in the eyes of Mary and Martha and the other friends that gathered there. In fact, the following verse is in the shortest in all the Bible. But to me, it's one of the most powerful scriptures in all the Bible. John 11 and verse 35, it simply says this, two words, Jesus wept. Jesus cried. What I find so remarkable about, remarkable about this is that Jesus knew what he was about to do. Jesus knew that he was about to go into the darkness that he would speak into that darkness and call Lazarus from the grave. Jesus knew that they would go home that night celebrating one of the greatest miracles that Jesus ever did. And yet he was still moved by their suffering, by their hurt, and by their pain. There may be some of you that are watching this today that are suffering with the coronavirus. There may be some of you who have a loved one who is in a hospital somewhere and alone dealing with the, with the ramifications of this disease, of this virus. And I want you to know that no matter where you are, even if we are alone in our homes, in the quiet, just by ourselves watching this live feed, we are never truly alone. Our Heavenly Father is always with us, and our Heavenly Father understands our suffering, our struggles. John eleven thirty five 35 reminds me that even though Jesus may seem to be far off, he is still very, very near. You might think that Jesus would be confident, that he would be calm, that he would be maybe even joyful or gleeful in this moment, but he wasn't. He allowed himself to be affected by the grief of those that he loved. And that gives us hope that he also understands our situation. I want to close with just three more observations from this beautiful story. The first is this, the greatest victory of all time didn't happen that day at the mouth of Lazarus's tomb. No, we are beginning to a week of time where we look to Jesus entering into the city of Jerusalem. He'll do some amazing teaching, but we know that Friday is coming. 
Friday, Jesus will celebrate a, a, a meal on Thursday night with his disciples. And then Friday morning, he will be tried and he will be hung on a cross to pay the price for all, all of our sins. And while that might seem to be the darkest time in all of creation, Sunday's coming. That there is a victory that is in that darkness. A victory that is around the corner. That death will be defeated. And sometimes we are called to obedience, even though we don't necessarily understand why. Certainly that was the case when they gathered around the tomb of Lazarus. The stone had been rolled across the entrance. And Jesus said, well, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And then when they get to the grave in verse 39, Jesus says, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been there or been dead for four days. Why Jesus said what he said, but it didn't matter. They were going to do that. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verse 54, Paul says here, just a beautiful, powerful passage. If you watched our Wednesday night stream, I used a part of this. He talks about things that are perishable and things that are imperishable. And he talks about the transformation that happens uh, after this life. He said, when the perishable puts away imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass uh, the same that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? We are called to be obedient. Jesus has done all the work of taking care of the, of the scourge of sin and giving us the hope of heaven. We just have to let, trust God to handle all the rest of it. This situation, maybe more clearly than many others, illustrates to all of us that there is so much in life that is simply out of our control. I think a lot of our country's leaders and a lot of the people that, that are policymakers in this country are, well, they're rather caught off guard because they've always kind of thought maybe they could outprogram or outspend or outlead a situation. But this situation seems to be bigger than all of us. No matter what we throw at it, it seems like there's another curveball around the corner. But it is not bigger than God. Jesus says this in verse number 40. He said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. They were obedient. <laughs> they didn't know why, but they took it away. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I, knew, I know that you always hear me, but I've said this on account of the people that are standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said these things, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and his feet were bound with linen strips and his face was wrapped with cloth. He was all prepared to be a dead man, but he walked out of that grave alive. Christ's victory that he, will, that he, will, uh, that he gained for us 2,000 years ago that we are remembering this week means that we are set free. One time we were like Lazarus. We were bound hand and foot. Our eyes were blinded. Maybe it was by addictions. Maybe it was by challenges in life. Maybe it was by our own sin or our own attitudes. But we all know what it's like to be, well, to be in bondage. <laughs> but Jesus is going to say something simple to them. He says, unbind him and let him go. Take that stuff off. I have set him free. <laughs> our hands and feet may be bound in this life. 
In fact, right now, a lot of us feel a little bound up, don't we? We're, we're stuck in our homes. We're only able to go out if we absolutely need to. Some of us haven't been out of the house in, in weeks, and most of us were used to running the roads often. But the truth is, is that when Christ has set us free, well, we are truly free. And bind him and let him go. Paul wrote something similar in Romans, the sixth chapter, verses, verse number seven, beginning. He says, For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we also live with him. What an awesome verse. We are sure of this because Christ, who was raised from the dead, and he will never die again, death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin, but alive uh, to God through Jesus Christ. One of my simple ver favorite verses, simple verses in the New Testament is simply this, John 8, verse 36, you know it. If the Son sets you free, you are truly free. The old King James Version said, you are free indeed. <laughs> Guys, today we may not feel like we are free indeed, but we are. We are free from the worry that after this life is over, we will be separated from God. We are free from the concern of how this whole situation will work itself out. Certainly, there will be challenges along the way, but our God is in control and is actively working in so many situations. Our job is simply to do what it was that Jesus did, to, to look for that bigger plan that's, that's happening around us, to recognize what it is that God is doing in this world and through this situation to focus on the opportunities that we're given, even if, even if they do make us a little uncomfortable, to be okay with that and take risks, to step out, to make phone calls, to text people, to provide for people's needs in a safe and, and, and productive way. The story of Lazarus, of his, of his well, resurrection in the sense of his coming back from the dead, was the last great miracle that we have recorded in the Bible. But it's a powerful miracle that reminds us that Jesus not only was working in a powerful way in those days, but that same Jesus is working in a powerful way in the world today as well. Job asked a question, a question that all of mankind have asked since that point. If man dies, can he live again? <laughs> and Jesus in his ministry would answer that, that question personally and also answer that question through the life of his friend with a resounding yes. So my challenge to you, church, this week is to not stop living. Even though we might be stuck in a home, we're cloistered away, maybe we're in quarantine, maybe we're suffering through this illness, there are still opportunities for us to make a difference for God and to work in the kingdom. Let's not lose sight of those opportunities, but let's make the most of those opportunities. So many of you guys are, are patched in in social media, or at least you have a phone or some way that you can get a hold of people. Maybe there's somebody that will pop in your mind this week, and someone that maybe you saw every week in church who sat on the pew next to you every Sunday. Maybe it's time for you to grab a phone and pick, up, pick it up and just check with them. Give them a phone call. Shoot them a quick text. 
message them on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever, whatever media platform you use. Let's live, church. Let's accomplish the things that God has given us to accomplish. This is a day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in every moment of it. Every Sunday as a church family, we gather together to be encouraged from God's word. We gather together to be challenged by, by scripture. We lift each other up and we lift ourselves up in worship. But we also do something else very important. We stop to remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And if you have those emblems there at the house right now, maybe you've swung by the church and you've picked up a little, little uh, communion kit, uh, we'll give you just a moment at this time to go ahead and grab those. Um, if Just a reminder, if, if you need some of those, there is a basket that's sitting out in front of the church, and we try to keep that full at all times of the little communion kits, or uh, you, probably a lot of you guys have made some of that at home. But I'm going to invite in a moment Koi to come, and, and Koi's going to lead our hearts today in a, in a Lord's Supper devotion. And then uh, we'll partake of those emblems as a family together.